because I answered this question that I've been asked repeatedly through this high holiday season of, if we're followers of Yeshua, why are we praying to be included in the book of life? And I gave the response for why it's important, and I showed and demonstrated from both scripture and tradition, including from the book of Revelation, that talks about that our works, what we do, is inscribed next to our names. And that when we come to the age and that God judges us, that he will judge us based on what we have done. But today I want to look at a different question. One of the primary themes within the Shacharit and the, and the Musaf portions of the service on Yom Kippur morning is the procedure of the high priest, which we just read about. In the Torah service, the reading was about the proper procedure for the high priest on this holiest day. And traditionally, during the Musaf service, which we're going to be doing in a moment, there is a whole section called the Avodah, which is a complete recounting of the procedure and the protocol of the high priest on Yom Kippur. After all, it was on this very morning, only one time a year, that the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. And only after a number of ritual washings and the offering of sacrifices on his own behalf and that of his family. He wore white linen rather than the usual golden vestments. He usually ritually washed his hands and feet only once. But on Yom Kippur, the high priest would ritually wash his feet 10 times and his entire body five times. Then he would offer the usual festival offerings plus a bull and a ram and two goats. The bull was a sin offering and the ram was a burnt offering, and then there's this, and those two covered the sins of the high priest and his family, in which he confessed his sins over the bull. And then we have this unusual story of the two goats, the one for Ladonai, which was a sin offering on behalf of the people, and one for Laazazel. And this was for making atonement on behalf of the people. And then as we just read that he would go into the holiest place and he would take the bowl first, uh, the blood of the bowl, and he would sprinkle it seven times before the Ark of the Covenant. And then he would go out and sprinkle the blood also on the horns of the altar. And then after they sacrificed the first goat that was for Ladunai, then he would again go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood seven times on the mercy seat, which is the top of the Ark of the Covenant and before it. And then he would go out and do the same thing to the altar at the front of the, temp of the tabernacle and then later the temple. And then they would take that last goat, the one for Lazazel, which is a... There's not really a good translation of Azazel. The idea is they would take this goat and the high priest would lay his hands on the head of the goat and he would confess all the sins and transgressions of the people of Israel. And then it would be escorted out of the city, out into the desert where the person who was accompanying it would push it off a cliff to kill it. And then when he came back, then he would have to go through immersion. He would wash himself and then he would be ritually impure until evening. This whole procedure of the high priest was so central to the observance of Yom Kippur that its imagery is still infused into the liturgy of Yom Kippur to this very day. Therefore, it is absolutely vital to have this imagery in your mind as we explore our Brit Chadashah reading for today from Hebrews 9. In our New Testament reading, 
We read that Yeshua, who is our great high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, performed the Yom Kippur service in the heavenly sanctuary. If it's not already familiar to you, if you read Hebrews closely, what is going on is the Yom Kippur service. It's the Avodah service. But rather than the high priest, it's a different high priest. It's the high priest is Yeshua, right? All throughout the book of Hebrews, there is a message that is going on that this message is twofold. It's meant to provide hope to people who are facing extreme persecution, not only from within, among fellow Jews, but also outside of the community, as now Roman persecution is beginning to pick up. So it's meant to provide hope of how you can survive in this difficult time, but it's also meant to provide an answer for how Judaism can now survive without a temple. Because according to many scholars, the book of Hebrews was written either just before, during, or immediately after the destruction of the temple. So the immediate thing on people's minds, especially as they're reading through Yom Kippur, is what are we going to do if we can't offer the sacrifices now? And the book of Hebrews comes up with an answer. The answer that the book of Hebrews provides is it's okay that we don't have these things right now, or at least they are in the, the, the sense of beginning to pass away because we actually still have all of these things. That what is on earth, the book of Hebrews says, was patterned after the heavenly original. That there is a heavenly temple and that the earthly temple was only the pattern of that, right? And just as there is a priesthood, there is actually a priesthood in heaven, except it's rather than after the earthly line of Levi, of Levi, and of Aaron, it is of Melchizedek, which is a whole other sermon that we don't have time to go into. So what Hebrews says is that these things are still happening, but they're happening in heaven. And so it's okay that we don't have a priesthood right now that is functioning because we still have a high priest who is doing it still, but he's doing it in heaven. And it's okay that we don't have the temple right now because we have a temple, but it's in heaven. And that all of these things were only uh, meant to be patterns of what is the true temple in heaven. And this is why, as Yeshua is performing this sacrifice, or at this service, this procedure in the heavenly realms, the book of Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 6, with things so arranged, the Kohanim go into the outer tent all the time to discharge their duties. But only the Kohen Gadol enters the inner one, and he goes in only once a year. When is that one time once a year? Yom Kippur. And he must always bring blood, which he offers both for himself and for the sins, com and the sins committed in ignorance by the people. And when he entered into the heavenly holy of holies, we read in verse 11, but when the Messiah appeared as Kohen Gadol of the good things that are happening already, then through the greater and more perfect tent, which is not man-made, that is, it is not of this created world, he entered the holiest place once and for all. And he entered not by the means of blood of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus setting people free forever. For if sprinkling ceremonially unclean persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer restores their outward purity, then how much more so the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, as a, himself to God as a sacrifice without blemish, who will purify our conscience from the works that lead to death so that we can serve the living God. 
It's interesting that it, did, it does acknowledge that the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a red heifer, it says, did restore their outward purity. But then it uses this argument, which is typical in rabbinic discussions, called kal v'chomer, which if this is true, then how much more so is this true, right? So he says, if that was true, then how much more so the blood of the Messiah, who through eternal spirit offered himself to God as a sacrifice without blemish, who will purify our conscience from works that lead to death so that we can serve the living God. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 25, we also read, that God put Yeshua forward as the kapara, as the atonement for sin through his faithfulness in respect to his bloody sacrificial death. This vindicated God's righteousness because in his forbearance, he had passed over with neither punishment nor remission the sins people had committed in the past, and it vindicates his righteousness in the present age by showing that he is righteous himself and is also the one who makes people righteous on the grounds of Yeshua's faithfulness. From these two passages, as well as numerous others, we learn two important points. One is that Yeshua's sacrificial death provided atonement and it provided the remission of sins. So what's the difference? Although they go hand in hand, they're also uniquely distinct. The sin offering was directly on behalf of the sins of the people, right? That's what gets rid of the sins, but you're still far away from God, right? just because your sins have been forgiven. So then there was the atonement sacrifice, which is what brought people back into the proper relationship with Hashem. Yeshua is our kapara and the one who causes our sins to be removed. How is this possible? And how is it similarly paralleled in the Torah? The answer is the two goats on Yom Kippur. However, rather than two separate sacrifices, Yeshua's sacrificial death provided both remission of sin and atonement. For example, take the first goat, the one for Ladunai. Like the goat offered Ladunai unto Hashem, Yeshua was also slaughtered and his blood flowed on account of our sins. As Hebrews 9.14 states, then how much more the blood of the Messiah who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God as a sacrifice without blemish, who will purify our conscience from works that lead to death, so that we can serve the living God. So he purifies our conscience from works that lead to death. What are works that lead to death? Please don't say the mitzvot. <laughs> what are works that lead to death? Hebrews tells us elsewhere. What are works that lead to death? Sin, right? What is sin? It's a fancy way to simply say those who, when we do things that miss the mark, right? When we go off course of what God would have for us, then we are technically living in sin. Then there's the other goat, the one La'azazel. And like the goat led out through the city and into the wilderness, Yeshua too was led through the city and mocked and ridiculed. He too was led to his death. And just as the sin of all Israel was laid upon the goat for Azazel, so too the sin of all of Israel and the world was laid upon Yeshua to carry away from us. And as the goat was led to another place, after Yeshua died, he too carried those sins to another place where he descended into hell and conquered both sin and death. On Yom Kippur, we relive and remember the Avodah service, not just as something that happened in the past, but as something that is still relevant and powerful for us today. It is not something that is now pointless and void. We also recount the Avodah service as it is performed by Yeshua 
and how his sacrificial death provided once and for all both atonement and the forgiveness of sins for all who would put their trust in him. Yeshua, as our Kohen Gadol, as our great high priest, regularly enters the heavenly sanctuary, interceding on our behalf. This is what Hebrews says. And as Hebrews states, not by the temporal means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus setting people free forever. Through Yeshua's atoning act, the parochet, that curtain which separated the holy of holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two, therefore creating access to everyone and to all who are brought close to him through faith. On Yom Kippur, we not only recognize the atonement of Yeshua, but we are also confronted with the reality of why we need him and the atonement that he offers in the first place. Yeshua matters because prior to Yeshua, the sacrifices and offerings only provided a temporary and a partial means of atonement for sin. However, scripture is clear that Yeshua's sacrificial atonement accomplishes a more perfect and a complete atonement once and for all. According to Tosefta Rosh Hashanah, all things are judged on Rosh Hashanah and their fate is sealed on Yom Kippur. Beginning on Rosh Hashanah, when the book of life is opened and judgment begins, the shofar is sounded to call our souls to repentance. As I mentioned earlier, teshuva, this word for repentance, can also mean an answer. You ask a question and the answer is also called a teshuva. And according to Abraham Joshua Heschel, teshuva is a dialogue. On Yom Kippur, we stand before a loving God who asks the questions and we offer the answers. A God of love seeks us out. And as much as we are in search of him, he is in search of us. This is another reason for joy on Yom Kippur. God gives us the opportunity during the high holidays to find our way back, to return. I love this idea of the translation of teshuva rather than repentance of returning. Because if you read through, as we've talked about before recently, that all throughout scripture, the descriptions of the messianic age is what? The descriptions of the garden. It's a return back to when things were perfect before things became imperfect. And so when we return, we're returning to the state in which we were supposed to be in before. That through teshuva, we are once again, B'Tselem Elohim, created in the image of God. The Torah is concerned with all of these details and procedures of the high priest and the Yom Kippur service because God cares about the details and God cares about protocol. Each detail on Yom Kippur teaches us that it is not about ourselves or our own rules and that the world does not revolve around us. Each one of us is reminded of our ultimate fate and judgment on Yom Kippur and our individual as well as corporate need for atonement. Yom Kippur is also a reminder of God's mercy and ability to bring atonement for our shortcomings through our eternal and heavenly high priest, Yeshua, who daily interceded on our behalf before the Father. By seeking to truly make things right, this Yom Kippur, 
and to carefully observe God's instructions regarding this most holy day, let us merit the sealing of our names in the book of life and the ultimate assurance of our atonement through Yeshua, our great high priest. And if we merit it at this time, may the final shofar blast at the end of the Ne'ilah service tonight truly be that blast which announces the arrival of our long-awaited beloved Messiah. Maran Ata, come Adon Yeshua. Gamar Chatimatova, may you be sealed for a sweet new year.